1: Welcome back to the podcast. We have a fascinating episode for you today. So this episode is one that is kind of like a longer time coming because I had like read this story and was like, this is an interesting story, but I didn't know kind of what angle to like approach it from. And then I started to read this other book. About monsters and the history of monsters. And they mentioned something that reminded me of this story. And so it's going to be maybe a long walk (laughs) to understand (laughs) where I'm coming from. But there's lots of really, like, cool, weird, historical information. And then also an awesome story. Sweet. So... The story is called The Skeleton Hand. But before I get into that, I want to talk about fossils.
0: Yay, fossils.
1: So last year in November, we talked about geomythology. This and was
0: super fun. I loved that. Those are some of my favorite episodes.
1: I was so excited about the geomythology episodes and we did two in a row. We did like a whole month of like geomythology episodes. And Jeff and I joke that they're some of our least listened to episodes. Yeah. But the real fans who've listened to every episode, they usually cite the geomathology episodes as some of their favorites.
0: Yeah, they do. It's pretty crazy. It was like, I'm glad we're not alone in thinking that these things are fascinating.
1: Yeah, I love it so much when I get messages from fans that they're like, I listened to all your episodes really fast and now I've run out of them. <laughs> I'm like
0: we're making them as fast as we can we promise
1: yeah and I'm like oh I'm so sorry because I hate it when that happens to me where I I love something so much that I like go through it really quickly because I like it so much and then I it's in that weird place where you're like I'm all cut up but now I'm waiting for more yeah and I'm loving it and I'm anticipating it but at the same time I just wish that I could have instantaneous gratification <laughs> So I thought that it would be fun to have another kind of geomythology related November episode. Yeah. And I was reading a book called On Monsters, An Unnatural History of Our Worst Fears. And that's by Stephen T. Asma. So in the second chapter of that book, he started off by talking about how, the ancient discovery of fossils led to the creation of some myths and stories. And so a famous example of this is the theory, um, that's kind of become more well known. Cause I see people kind of cite this offhandedly without kind of knowing where it's coming from online Mm -hmm. where they're like, Oh yeah. Like dragons are from like dinosaur bones or dinosaur fossils. Right. And so, the theory of that kind of started back in like 1920. And so, it's not like a new theory, but like people have really attached to it, like online. And so they'll cite that where yeah. they're like, they're like, oh yeah, like dragons were actually like dinosaur bones. And that comes from that there's an area in China that is has a lot of rich fossil deposits. Mm -hmm. And so when this one paleontologist, Roy Chapman Andrews, started searching that area, he started searching that area because he was hearing so many Chinese folklore stories about dragon teeth and dragon bones. And Mm. so when he went there to look, he was finding a lot of late Cretaceous dinosaurs, like all... Over the place.
0: Yeah, nice.
1: And so the idea that like fossil deposits being found by ancient people. Yeah. Can lead to like myths and mythology. That's kind of it's like an old or it's not an old theory, but like it's a theory that it makes a lot of sense to me. It could possibly be maybe there are other answers to where stories about dinosaurs came from.
0: Stories about dragons.
1: Stories about dragons. Sorry. (laughs) The dinosaurs are mythical
0: figures.
1: (laughs) There's no real proof that dinosaurs ever existed. They were put here by a god.
0: (laughs) To confuse us.
1: (laughs) To confuse us. So paleontologists know that ancient people were finding like fossilized remains and trace fossils. And trace fossils are things like um, dinosaur footprints. So mm,
2: yeah.
1: it's like, oh, proof, evidence that they were there, but it's not like their their bones or... Um,
0: parts of their bodies parts that of were their left bodies. behind.
1: Exactly. And I just learned the word trace fossils by watching an episode of The Magic School Bus <laughs> with my children. <laughs> Nice. Cuz I didn't know that there was like a specific word.
0: Yeah, for those type of things. For
1: those type of things, I just would also call them fossils. Like I'm like, "Oh, fossils like like footprints and but apparently those are called trace fossils. Nice. And the reason why scientists know that ancient people were encountering things like this and also like semi-precious rocks and stuff like that were that they will find those objects displaced from where they were and like in a collection. So they'll be looking through a place that they know humans were anciently inhabiting old home dwellings, things like that. And they'll find like stashes of like fossils and precious rocks and stuff like, like just like, Oh, a trilobite. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Just in a collection of stuff. And, like, dinosaur teeth, where it's like, what's this giant shark tooth doing here? A ancient person found it and was like, that's cool.
0: I'm going to take it home.
1: I'm going to take this home with me. Which people have always been people. <laughs> so one concept talking about, like, trilobites is... There were some people who came up with the idea of a creature that lives inside of rocks. Because sometimes these people would be, like, breaking up rock as they were moving into a dwelling or working in a quarry to use rocks to, like, build homes or whatever. And they would find things like trilobites inside the rocks. Mm-hmm. And so what they thought was that these were creatures that lived inside of the rocks and could somehow move through the rock.
0: Yeah, that's interesting.
1: And I'm like, you know, I don't know what I would have thought if I was a person living before. Yeah. Like that that science was like there. Yeah. And I would also be like, what is this creature
0: How is there a creature inside of the the, rock? How did it get there?
1: Yeah, especially like...
0: If you don't know how rocks are formed or...
1: And like trilobites look like they have these, uh, you know, like hard shells, but then like legs, like... um, I'm thinking potato bugs. Because they have like a bunch of feet all around them. And so, I mean, I can see how maybe very slowly these creatures could somehow... Move through the rocks. Like, I can understand how somebody would look at that and think that. Yeah. And so I also think about, okay, if I had found a footprint of, like, a T-Rex, and it's, like, several, you know, footsteps, and you look at how, like, big that is. Yeah. And these are people who are used to hunting and tracking animals. So they know, like, what footprints look like, what scat looks like, what... They're used to seeing that stuff, reading the signs. If you saw a T-Rex footprint,
2: you
0: you would be terrified. (laughs) Yeah. Because they know like, oh, like you could see like a bear footprint or something like that. Like you go to the zoo or something. It's like, oh, this is what a polar bear's footprint looks like. And it's crazy huge, Mm -hmm. you know? And it's like, oh my gosh, yeah. And then you can see how big a polar bear is because there's one literally in front of you there at the zoo. But then... A T-Rex footprint is so much bigger. So then to be like, if this polar bear footprint is this big and a polar bear is this big, then this thing's got to be 20 times bigger because its footprint is so much bigger. Yeah, because
1: its footprint is so huge.
0: And you would think that it was somewhere out there, like currently.
1: Exactly. And that's exactly what was happening to people in these regions of China who were discovering the remains of these Cretaceous dinosaurs they were finding the bones and they had no way of knowing that these bones were like 65 million years old, because why would that be your first thought? Like it it wouldn't because you would assume that anything that old would be gone. gone. Plus I can't, I can't even conceptualize what a million years would be. Yeah. Like, Mental, like I hear the number, but like yeah. mentally, it means very little. Such a hugely to me. <laughs>
0: ab- abstract number.
1: Exactly, especially when talking about time. Yeah, because it's like I can't even imagine what it would be like if I lived to be a hundred. Like that seems completely abstract to me at this point. So uh-huh. I know that I wouldn't look at bones and be like, "Oh, I bet these are bones from." 65 million years ago. No, I would think these must be recent.
0: (laughs) And this creature is nearby and probably going to come and eat us.
1: Yeah. Like somewhere in these like mountains are dragons and I, they're just hiding really well from me. But isn't that more terrifying that like, there's like these animals that, are huge, but no one's ever seen them alive. That it's, yeah. They somehow, yeah. Like,
0: how could if, how could something so big, we find their footprints all the time, but we've never actually seen one or heard one? Yeah. It's like, oh man. But you
1: see, like, you see their, um, especially because some of the ones they're finding, you could see, like, the outline that they were feathered. Like, it looks like they have wings, but they also look like long lizards. Uh huh. I would see how the idea of, like, a dragon would come into their mind and how they would think that this was something. So I talk about this as, like, oh, I can understand how ancient people would, like, think about it this way. But we don't actually have to go that far back. (laughs) And now I'm going to talk about Thomas Jefferson. (laughs) The Thomas Jefferson, the United States of America's third president. He's in Hamilton.
0: (laughs) Author of the Declaration of Independence that was once stolen and recovered by Nicolas Cage.
1: Yes, that Thomas Jefferson. (laughs) This is a History Buffs podcast.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Do you know what piece of currency Thomas Jefferson is on?
1: Is it the $2 bill?
0: The $2 bill.
1: Yes, I did it. I knew if you were asking, it must be one of the obscure ones, like the obscure dollars bills.
0: Thomas Jefferson's also on the nickel. Oh, and I've then heard on of those, nickels like, and all those dollar coins that have like the presidents on them. But like every president is on those. So,
1: this is a coin collector's podcast. <laughs> <laughs> We've we're bringing the facts. Okay, so. As I was reading in this second chapter of On Monsters, I, right after the author was talking about, like, oh, in China, anciently, these people, blah, 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 blah. He brought up Thomas Jefferson. (laughs) And he said, Thomas Jefferson, for example, introduced a strange fossil to the scientific community at a meeting of the American Philosophical Society in Philadelphia in the night. Nope. In the 1790s, not in the 1970s.
0: (laughs) This is a time traveler's podcast.
1: (laughs) So he called it megalonyx or great claw. Jefferson believed that the enormous claw discovered in a cave in Virginia must have belonged to a monstrous cat-like creature. Mm. So I find that super fascinating because he had this claw. And he was like, this claw is huge. And the creature that it belongs to, I looked up because I couldn't find the measurements of the one that he had. But the standard size for the creature that he found, their claw, it is six and a half inches long. Wow. So the claw of a megalonyx, if you're not a person in the U.S. who does inches, it's 165 millimeters which I'm pretty sure is 16.5 centimeters. I don't know why they said millimeters. It makes it sound huge, like 165 millimeters.
0: Yeah, you just identified exactly why. (laughs)
1: Because it makes it sound like huge. So yeah, for an American audience, that is six and a half inches. So I looked up other cat claws, which I thought it was interesting I was Googling a lot and the only place that I could find the sizes for claws was on a taxidermy website. (laughs) I was like, I thought like a zoo site would have like the information or like something like that. But it was like a taxidermy website that was Uh. like selling different like animal like body parts. Yeah. So a cougar's front claw, because apparently the front claws are bigger than the back paw claws. I didn't know. Interesting. Yeah, we're learning fun facts today. So cougar front claw, two and a half inches long.
0: Oh my gosh. So
1: that's a cougar, which is the fourth largest cat in the world.
0: Yeah, and it's like three times bigger than that.
1: The one that Jefferson found, that claw. Yeah. A grizzly bear's front claw is four inches long.
0: Oh my gosh.
1: So Thomas Jefferson... Thought that that claw must belong to a like monster cat, like a cat that was three times the size of a regular cougar, and that it was Jeez. hiding out in the Virginia wilderness. and i'm like just imagining that terror because he fell into kind of like that same trap that like the ancient chinese were falling into where they saw these dinosaur bones and thought this must be current this must be something that is currently out here and he thought that too that like this claw has to belong to a giant cat so it does not belong to a giant cat (laughs) It belongs to a giant ground sloth. Ooh. Yes, which is very interesting. And the reason that they have the sloths, even today if you look at a sloth, they have giant claws.
0: Yeah, their claws are really long.
1: Yeah, but they usually use them for gripping onto trees.
0: Yeah, very adorably, I might add. Yes, very adorably.
1: (laughs) But this is a ground sloth, but it still has like these gigantic claws. So back to the quote in the book on monsters, it says the interesting point for our purpose is that Jefferson did not think the creature was extinct, but rather living somewhere in the uncharted frontier. In the present interiors of our continent, he suggested, there is surely space and range enough for elephants and lions, if in that climate they could subsist, and the mammoths, mastodons and megalonyxes who may subsist there. Our entire ignorance of the immense country to the west and northwest and of its contents does not authorize us to say what it does not contain. When he sent Lewis and Clark westward, Jefferson encouraged them to keep a lookout for giant living creatures.
0: (laughs) That's, like, such a good point. I mean, like, there was such a vast expanse that had been unexplored. Yeah. Yeah. There's like, how are you to know what is or isn't there? You know, yeah. if you haven't seen it, if you haven't seen something yet. Yeah. Like, but you find some sort of proof that there could be like, you know, this giant claw, even though you don't recognize that it's like fossilized and actually made of rock and not.
1: Yeah. That it's like the claw that this of the creature that this belonged to has been dead for so long. Yeah. <laughs> but you would like, yeah, you wouldn't like you to think that. So. When I read that paragraph, instantly I thought of the story The Skeleton Hand, which is an American tall tale. Ooh. And you, I think, will be able to see immediately why I thought of this. And it made this story make way more sense to me than when I first (laughs) read it. Yeah. And... So now the portion of the podcast that was kind of the geomythology portion and like the fossil like portion kind of over. I'm sorry to say, but now I'm going to tell you a story and we're going to talk about some of the other interesting parts of the story of the skeleton hand, because there's some other great stuff that we're going to talk about, like racism,
0: (laughs) (laughs) that old American tradition.
1: it'll be fun (laughs) so the story starts in the american far west pennsylvania (laughs) which i think is great because at the time that this story was starting to circulate (laughs) something like pennsylvania was like considered to be like the far west yeah Because America was on this like long journey of westward expansion. And this is kind of the beginning of it. So out in the far west of the Pennsylvania wilderness, there was a man named Jacob Schutz and Schutz is a German word. I'm being told for a shooter or marksman.
0: Probably not a real person. (laughs) Oh, I was going to ask.
1: I, yeah, like I tried to look it up or I did like look it up and it, Pretty much is like he it was just a name. And so it's kind of this character who's kind of specifically crafted to be this like shooter marksman hunter. Yeah. So and it's supposed to kind of be this like all American hero, which we'll talk about like later. So it says in the story, small game was not for him. He was only drawn to the big supernatural beasts. And it also says in quotes, and I love this. He had no use for a woman and children of his own who would have been in the way of his one and only passion <laughs> <laughs> shooting and killing animals. <laughs> um, which is like, Oh, I don't have time for silly women. <laughs> but it says he also shunned the company of men and just wanted to live a solitary Life, And so he was always building these one room cabins for himself that were just, you know, rough hewn logs packed with like mud and dirt. And the only companions he had was a dog, a shaggy black dog named Whacker.
2: Nice. Which
1: I guess that name means like bold or that's like the connotation for it. And he also had a huge black Stallion named Rab, which apparently is Raven. In I think they're saying it's German. Uh-huh. I could double check it really fast, but I'm going to keep going. <laughs> so it's basically like the two animals that he had were these like jet black animals that were big and as tough and gritty as he was. And anytime civilization would be pushed closer to him. Once another human being got within a mile of him, he would just pack up and go (laughs) because he was so hardcore about, like, no one being near his stuff. So it said he had a bear skin that served as his bed, a rolled up deer hide as a pillow, and two sewn together timber wolves as blanket. So these are obviously some of the things that he has hunted and killed, and like he's like, no, that's my cozy little blanket. Is this murdered
0: animal? (laughs) (laughs) That was so warm and cozy, though.
1: That'd be so soft. I will rub my dog, like I'll be like like petting her fur, and I'll like whisper to her, like, when you die, I'm gonna turn you into a pillow. Oh
0: man, because I'm a psychopath.
1: (laughs) Oh yeah, I'm like. My cat is so soft. You're so soft.
0: I always talk about how I want to get him like taxidermied. But maybe turning him into something like a pillow or like a little stuffed animal might be better that I can like snuggle up with.
1: Or just be like, oh, now I can pet you all the time. Yeah. Except it makes you sound like a crazy person. Um, Because it's like, there's nobody else in my life that I'm like, I love you. You're amazing. You're part of my family. When you die, I'm in a taxidermy. So I can
2: (laughs) sit you in a corner and snuggle you whenever I want.
1: So, yeah, I'm like, "Mm, it's a compliment to my dog, but also kind of creepy. Oh, my gosh. Was I telling you a story? (laughs) So it says, as the house, so the man, because Jacob was also, like, like dirty and rough, and he was, like, all scarred up, and his clothes were made out of just, like, rawhide and whatever, <laughs> like, whatever clothing he could just, like, cobble together. Quoting it, it says, a long-departed squaw had fashioned him a pair of Beaded moccasins, and I don't think that the is I don't think the word squaw is politically
0: correct. Yeah, yeah, I'm like I don't think it's
1: appropriate anymore. I'm pretty sure I've heard that, and so this story is going to be full of stuff where it's like that is problematic thinking, or we would look at that today and go, "Ooh, that really shows the mindset of like when this story was," which is what we talk about a lot on the podcast. Yeah. these stories are kind of a little time capsule of like when they were created which is why i think it's important to study them and discuss those things and not kind of say oh this story is a problem and let's hide it and never talk about it again yeah um and so i'm excited to have like more of a discussion about that with you um but yeah that tile is more about just like his clothing where it's like he was Kind of he was living out in the woods and the only people you would come in contact with were like other hunter trappers. Mm-hmm. And so you had native peoples that were out there. You had also at this time in the US um, French settlers because there was kind of always an overlap of like the border and the people. Um, And so we're pushing the border on like the French settlement side. And so you've got French fur trappers that were also considered these just like kind of wild men that were like outside wandering. Um, And so it says like, he spoke a little bit of German, a little bit of French and a little bit of English and enough other like phrases to get by, mm-hmm. which we'll see later in the story as he's like encountering some like other people. So he also had some weapons because of course. Why Why wouldn't he have weapons?
0: How do you think he's killing all these animals if he didn't have any weapons?
1: <laughs> yeah, he's not using his bare hands. Although it's no. a tall tale.
0: He could have been using his bare hands. His yeah, bare I mean, hands and his bared teeth took down two razorbacks in one bite. But no, he didn't. Weapons. Let's hear him.
1: Okay, so wait. I'm going to read this thing. It says, by contrast, his weapons were fine and lovingly cared for. An ancient Jaeger... A weapon his father had brought over from the old country, artfully inlaid with figures of men and animals done in ivory, paired with a recently made Lancaster rifle. Unadorned, yet beautiful in its perfection. (laughs) (laughs) So he was carrying his powder horn. And which is what held gunpowder if people like don't know. The reason why it's a horn is so that you can fill it on the wide end. This is how I understand it. Maybe somebody you fill it in the like the wide end, but then when you are pouring the powder, you use the thin end.
0: Right. That's like so it's like a funnel.
1: So it's like a funnel putting the powder like in. Heitzfanger? What is a German Heitzfanger? The latter was wickedly outlandish, more sword than hunting knife. Heinzfanger means deer catcher. And of course, my German is impeccable. Just <laughs> kidding. I apologize to all of our German <laughs> listeners. Um, this is a weapons podcast. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, he's, his weapons are that he's got this, like, Lancaster rifle. He has um, this German hunting knife. And he takes super good care of those things. So, this man, I know you're wondering, what does this super, super manly man eat? What is his <laughs> diet consist of? And says... Jacob's nourishment consisted almost entirely of meat, fowl, and venison. And I was like, oh, my goodness. Your colon is not going to like that. Oh, my goodness. Um, but it also said that he was not picky because he would also eat deer, wild turkey, muskrat, possum, or gopher, if you have it. <laughs> And he would round out his diet with some dried berries, nuts, and wild
0: roots. Delicious.
1: And apparently only twice a year, he would ride 60 miles to a nearby settlement to swap all of his trapped furs and skins and things for powder and lead, obviously, for his gun. Mm -hmm. He's going to need those things. Flour, salt, tobacco, and a keg of Monongahela rye, which is apparently the first- American whiskey that was widely recognized.
0: And the Monongahela River runs through western Pennsylvania. It's one of the three rivers that meets in Pittsburgh. And it also goes like down into West Virginia through Morgantown, West Virginia.
1: Oh my goodness. Hence
0: why I know about it.
1: Okay, because I love that when I went to say it, I was like, no way this is the real word.
0: It's It's a Native American word, so...
1: Oh, that makes sense.
0: I don't know what, like, Uh, Native American language it is. Because
1: I was like, I'm like, that's not German. That's not. (laughs) But going back, so going back, with all this stuff of this wild man, the story wants to make it very clear to you that if someone were to ask him how a Christian could live in this appalling manner, he would answer that this kind of life suited him perfectly. He had few occasions to philosophize, but he did love our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. (laughs) 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 Woo! It one sec! I'm trying to like find the place because it totally does like he was a Christian man. Oh, yeah, here it is. It says surprisingly, he was pious and God fearing. (laughs) So it says the son of a Moravian Dutchman who had fled his native land to seek freedom of religion in the new world. And so Jacob would pray long and hard for a successful hunt. And I just love that they really are like, we really want to point out that as separate as he is from civilization, he has not separated himself from a Christian God.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it's very like,
1: important to the story. he
0: he, even though he's separate in his own individual person, he still is like a shining beacon of all that is American,
2: yeah, including like,
0: like religion and whatever. including
1: being religious. And so they're like, if somebody was lost, he would give them shelter, he would give them food, he would give them like water like a true Christian man would. And yeah, it really is. They really want you to understand that like he might sound like rough but he hasn't separated himself from God which we're again we're going to discuss uh what that says about him and the culture around religion and what it says about your humanity to white people <laughs> so now we're getting into the part of the story where i think people will be like ah <laughs> This is why Katrina thought of this, uh, this story and was like, okay, this quote by Thomas Jefferson makes this story make sense to me. So it says, so what was Jacob out there hunting? What was he trying to get? First of all, he was looking for the great fanged death, which was a giant catamount, which is another name for a cougar or puma. Catamounts are normally that word. Catamount is usually used to describe Eastern Pumas, which I am sorry to say were declared extinct two years ago. Oh, man. Yeah. It's really sad
0: for the Eastern Carolina University who has a catamount as their mascot.
1: Oh, no. (laughs) They're like, Mm. nope.
0: Not a real one, apparently. (laughs)
2: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Oh, by the way, I need to jump in there and say the Catamount is actually the mascot of Western Carolina University, not Eastern Carolina University. Um, before people write in to correct me about something that is going to get cut anyway and just be in the outtakes.
1: <laughs> Those are really dedicated people who are writing. I'm gonna, like, I'm going to listen to everything that you say. Even I'm going to like <laughs> go and get just so I can like at you later. So. This great fanged death was a catamount bigger than a tiger, bigger than a grizzly bear. It emitted a fearful ear splitting scream that would turn men's blood to ice, which if you've ever heard a cougar or a mountain lion Mm. scream, it's terrifying. It, it does sound like a blood curdling, terrifying scream. And when they let them out in the middle of the night, when you are like out in the woods, Makes you poop your
2: pants.
1: (laughs) And so this great fang death, obviously Thomas Jefferson believed that this was like out in the wilderness. And a lot of people believed that this kind of cryptid, this giant cat lived out here. Therefore, not random to the story. Totally made sense to them as people. So the second thing that Jacob Schutz was after was a loop eclair. So this is a, yep.
2: Like a kind of donut. (laughs) You're like, you're like
1: a giant (laughs) paste cream pastry. So I looked this up and so French in French loop is wolf. Hmm. Hmm. But I'm not quite sure about eclair because obviously when I Google eclair, even when I Google loop eclair, everything that comes up is like, did you want to bake these? And I'm like, no, I am not making those right now. So, yeah, it's just like recipes. But this is a supernaturally (sighs) swift wolf because it has eight legs.
0: So I look up, I'm like. What does eclair from French mean in English? And Google Translate's like, oh, the, the French word eclair means eclair. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thanks, Google. Yeah.
1: yeah. So I'm like, if somebody else. What this what this kind of seemed to me like in this story. Oh, Ooh. What? You found something? You Googled for two seconds longer than me and found something. <laughs> now That's I'm an expert. I'm like, oh, I did research and I couldn't find it. And then you're like two seconds later, like, oh, wait, here's a lead. I'm like, dang it.
0: The word eclair comes from the French word meaning flash of lightning, so named because it is eaten quickly. In a flash. So it's like a lightning wolf.
1: <gasps> That's so cool. Because this one, it's supernaturally swift yeah. because it has eight legs. Oh my gosh, I'm so glad that you figured that out. Yes. So the Lupeclair, supernaturally swift wolf. What I'm about to describe to you is going to sound super freaky and stupid. So try <laughs> to imagine it in your brain. <laughs> so it's eight legs. It's not like... um. So Odin has a... The Norse god, Odin. He has a horse with eight legs and it is supernaturally swift but they are not arranged the way that this wolf's eight legs are arranged (laughs) this wolf has four of them in the usual place how you would imagine a wolf okay now imagine four more legs on its back (laughs) So it says when one set of legs got tired, the Lupiclaire simply flipped itself over to run with redoubled speed.
0: Man, before you explain that, the Lupiclaire was on its way to being like my new favorite cryptid. But it's yeah. like no, I can't. I'm not. Can't be down with the legs on it, dude. Back. If
1: I saw that, if I saw that spider wolf coming at me, there's something called a wolf spider. Maybe they should call it a Lupiclaire. I just broke while I was saying that.
0: An eclair loop.
1: Excuse me. An eclair loop. A lightning wolf. So that was the second thing he was after. So the third thing is, and I just would like to, before I describe it, I would like to apologize and say this did not come out of my brain. And this is not my fault. So this third creature is a creature that the Native Americans, not really, this is a made-up thing that the Native Americans did not come up with. It's just, they're like, oh yeah, Native Americans believed in this. No. I have, there's no proof or evidence that that is the case. It's called a gormagunt. <laughs> and it was said to be almost... <laughs> yeah. It's said to be almost as big as an elephant with enormous flapping ears but a porkin snout so like a pig pig snout warty skin oh. and i again would like to apologize for what is about to come out of my mouth equipped with two male members and three female pudenda which <laughs> if you don't know what pudenda is that is it was a new vocab word uh for me but i understood in context <laughs> what it must mean Because we really don't use the word pudenda enough. So pudenda is the plural for pudendum, which makes sense since the gormagant apparently has three, and it's a word that describes the outer genitalia, usually female. People usually use it just for female, but it's not gender specific. So basically, three female vulva. Is what this creature has.
0: What the heck is this thing?
1: I'm like, please do not try to imagine (laughs) this in your brain. Um, there's a slightly different description that comes up in the New York Mercury newspaper from 1761. Um, this is a super obscure cryptid that it doesn't have that many references, but some of the references, like the one that appears in the newspaper in 1761, make it sound to me like it's supposed to be a joke, where they're like, oh, yeah, um, Native Americans have a word for this. It's like a creature that has three heads, two male members, one female, and then they use the C word. Jeez. <laughs> so I prefer put <laughs> <dead, no. laughs> But in this, it just says one, and then it says... And it has like three buttholes. <laughs> and then when people are kind of like, like, oh, what is this creature? They're like, it's a man riding a horse with a lady behind him riding side saddle. So that's uh, why it had that's why it has three heads, two mil. Yeah. You get it. I get it. You get it.
0: It definitely sounds like a joke creature.
1: It does. And I can see why. I guess, because they're saying that, like, Native Americans would say this, but I have found no sources from that side of things, which makes me think that it's a joke yeah. that white people, like, invented and then just kind of, like, were kind of making a, like, backstory for it. Right. If that makes sense? Well, it seems...
0: It seems like you know they're trying to give it like this fake air of authenticity. Like there's a reason why yeah. you haven't heard about it because like it doesn't exist as we know it. It's kind of reminds me of that meme where people will like put some random phrase in another language and they'll be like, "Oh, instead of I love you, like the Japanese say," and then put the like Japanese phrase and I think that's beautiful. Like sometimes people put the actual phrase that people say for whatever. But lots of people yeah. use that as a beam to put like something ridiculous in another language. And like, so people that aren't like fact checking that are like, oh, wow, yeah, that's so cool. When really it's like, you know, saying something very obscene, you know? So they're trying to like lure you in and give you the sense like, oh, this is this creature that there's this myth about.
1: Very that and, we don't yeah. know
0: about, but the Native Americans do that, that we're around. And then you like give them the punchline and finally they're like, oh, and they get that it's like made up, you know? I don't feel think that they're trying to pass it off as like any sort of authentic thing in this joking context.
1: And this one, again, also made me think back to the quote from, like, Thomas Jefferson, where he was saying, like, there could be elephants and lions out in this wilderness. We don't know. It's so big and so vast. There could be this creature that's as big as an elephant with enormous flapping ears and this, like, pig snout, warty skin and fantastical genitalia. I don't know. I'm like, that sounds like details a man put in this story.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and it's also interesting, and I wonder if people at the time, because, you know, there are people nowadays that are, like, very well-respected or, like, big names, like, in the community or celebrities, that they believe, like, some really outrageous and weird out-there stuff. Yeah. So it's, like, because we're thinking, like, oh, Thomas Jefferson believed this, and because of all these other things, Thomas Jefferson's kind of, like, a respected person, but, like... We just assume like, oh, no, like because he was such a smart and respected person, like he wouldn't have believed anything crazy. So everyone back then must have thought that. But it makes me wonder if that joke, the whole point is to be like, oh, yeah, there's this crazy creature like Thomas Jefferson. You know, people that weren't in the same line of thinking that are like,
2: of course, there's not any
0: of these crazy creatures out there. And they're kind of like making fun of the fact that a segment of the population believes in these kind of like outlandish cryptids. So they're like poking fun at that with this story and with the joke.
1: Yeah, and so they go like even further describing like like the genitalia, where it's like yeah. that's such an unnecessary outlandish thing. Yeah, that it's it's it it like jumps the shark. Like it it goes like so far that I'm like eh, I'm not with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I'm like a wolf that's supernaturally fast. That's cool.
2: Yeah,
1: or like a giant grizzly bear sized like wildcat. That's terrifying. the The gormagunt. I'm like, <laughs> what and, is this monstrosity?
0: And even its name. Come on, gormagunt.
1: Yeah, gormagunt. Which they're like, they're like, oh, it's a Native American word. <laughs> and I'm like, that sounds like you're making fun of people. Is what that sounds yeah. like. So the final thing that Jacob was after, his supreme quest, was the Great White Heart. H-A-R-T, heart.
0: This is a deer.
1: Oh, my gosh. How did you know that?
0: Uh, because of the Buffy the Vampire Slayer spinoff show Angel. Oh, my gosh.
1: <laughs> because, like, I, ha- I looked it up and found out, be- and because this is an Obscure Animals Name podcast, I found out that a heart is the name for an adult male deer.
0: Oh, I'd forgotten that part of it. Which I love again because we are so into our gendered terms for different animals.
1: We are. That's what we're here for. <laughs> so, the the great white heart was this fabled lord of the mountain, an animal that was majestic and unblemished with a royal set of antlers, its snow white body glowing like silver in the moonlight.
0: And of course, Jacob Schutz wanted to, to murder, murder right? it. <laughs>
1: For fame and glory. <laughs> um, and we're gonna talk more. This is this the great white heart is another discussion that we're definitely gonna be having. I'm super excited. Nice. I'm like, I'm I'm amping up all of this, like oh, we're gonna discuss this. So, Jacob Schutz first came upon the great fanged death. So he was always out looking for these creatures in his vast travels. And one day the fight came to him. He was pursuing this animal up the cliff, and finally it realized, you know what? If this guy's going to keep following me, I'm going to bring the fight to him. So this terrifying beast leapt down off of the cliff, digging its enormous claws and fangs into Jacob, which... Again, I'm going to say six and a half inches of claw. I'm assuming it has multiple claws. Digging them into this This man, supernaturally strong, I guess, because he's being clawed up in the back, being inflicted with fearful wounds. So giving his soul to God and with the help of his ferocious black dog, Whacker, Jacob got the better of the panther and thrust his knife through its Gaping mouth deep into its heart. Ooh,
0: hardcore. Yeah. Man, through its mouth into it, its heart? Yeah,
1: that deep like, down. down. Which I'm like, that knife that he had that I'm describing, like, it is a pretty long knife. But yeah. the Great Fang Death is a giant creature. Yeah. But our boy Jacob, so manly, just shoves that whole thing <laughs> into that cat's mouth and stabs it in the heart via its mouth. Dang. So he kills it, skins it, and takes his oversized pelt, and he uses that as his blanket ever since. Got rid of those wolf skin blankets, and now he's like, nope. Got the great fanged death. <laughs> so Thomas Jefferson was a super tiny weakling who was super afraid of this thing. Not our boy Jacob. He just straight up stabs it, skins it. And snuggles with it when he goes to bed. Bye. <laughs> so for a while, Jacob was happy. He felt content. He was like, you know what? I'm super. So manly. My hubris is huge. So <laughs> <laughs> goes to sleep. Feeling pretty good about himself. So he takes care of his wounds. And pretty soon those fearful wounds just get added to the map of scars on his body and he starts to feel restless again. And he's ready to go on the hunt for something else. So he decides he's ready to go after the Loupe Eclair. So the Loupe Eclair obviously has been seen outside of what's considered like the English settlements. The Loupe Eclair is out in French country, obviously, because the name is French. French animals want (laughs) to hang out with French people, I guess. So he's got to go into these woods that he's never been before. So the whole summer long, he is searching for these wolf tracks and it says he's living like an animal himself. He is just like running himself ragged, sleeping like in caves and under rocks. It says sometimes burrowing like a rodent, like (laughs) way, way to go Jacob manly man, digging in the ground like a hole. He's like, I'm a badger now. (laughs) So finally he sees signs that that wolf is nearby. But Jacob, not an idiot. He knows that he can't outrun the loop Claire, obviously, because it can run for days. Because it's got that cool leg thing where it just, like, <laughs> flips over and keeps going. <laughs> so he decides that he can outsmart the loop eclair, So that's what he does. So he traps a live fawn. And a fawn is a baby deer. See, more... That one's less obscure. I feel like more more people know what a fawn is. Yeah. So Jacob gets a live fawn, so baby deer, to use as bait. <laughs> so he tied it to a tree, and because I guess what Louie Claire's love more than anything else is like fresh little baby deers. Nom, 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 nom.
0: <laughs> so tender. So
1: tender. So juicy. So for two days and night, he sat burrowed down in the ground by this tree waiting for the Lupiclair. But his wait was not in vain. Because the Lupiclair crept slowly at night, and our boy Jacob had his long rifle loaded with a silver bullet that had been prayed over by pious Moravian elders, which I had to look it up. It's like a german protestant sect of christianity and this bullet was also subjected to a spell by an ancient crone
0: (laughs) (laughs) just to cover both you know sides of the
1: yeah i was like wow that's such an interesting combination where he's like okay so i've got the silver bullet that i need to work and so i'm gonna have like my jesus peeps Like, pray for it, but then also I'm going to need a little bit of the other, you know, some witch, pagan, natural, earth, goddess, moon, beam, sunlight, blessing on this silver bullet. So I'm like, all right, that's a choice. But the silver bullet, because of, I guess, this combination of, like, by our powers combined, (laughs) this bullet never failed to find its target even in total darkness. So during the third night, while Jacob was burrowed down waiting with his rifle, (laughs) the Lupeclair appeared and the fawn started bleating anxiously, trying to get away. So Jacob had super sharp eyes and he finally could see some movement, a dark shape moving through the dark moonless night. So... Quickly he aimed his gun and he shot at the almost invisible prey because it was so dark outside, and the bullet, true to its intended purpose, went straight for the Lucla and shot it. I'm going to assume before it ate the fawn right yeah of in course. my my head cannon yeah, so it says that soon. That eight-legged skin was hanging on the wall of Jacob's cabin. So after this, Jacob was feeling pretty tired and exhausted because, again, he had been like living in caves, wandering around through this like French countryside that he, I say French countryside as if he's like in the south <laughs> of France. Um, but it's like, no, that's <laughs> still in America. So, he's pretty like weak and exhausted from all of the effort. And so, he went in and spent the whole winter in his cabin with Wacker, his dog, and of course, Rabe outside his horse in a lean-to. So, he was in his cabin through the long winter. Soon the winter cold gave way to springtime. So after that long rest over the winter, Jacob was ready to be on the hunt again. And this time he's going for item number three on his list and our personal favorite. <laughs> <the gormagant. laughs> Hopefully you guys didn't forget about it. <laughs> you never will. You'll never sleep again. So Jacob got on his horse and he headed out towards the wilderness beyond ohio <laughs> far distant lands which i think is funny because it is like back then when they're telling the story like again that's like it's like pushing that yeah. limit of uh like what what white people knew what they'd explored so far like what they um, like just the edge of that frontier yeah. wilderness, um, for like the white people hadn't gone to before. So out in the untamed wilderness beyond the Ohio, <laughs> he found in some like muck and slime and swamp the gormagunt. The creature was even more <laughs> misshapen than he had heard. Which yeah, like, and of course really? the
0: gormagunt was found in a stinking, bubbling hole.
1: Mm-hmm. Like, gross. Um, which, actually, now that I'm thinking about it, that's so interesting. Because now I'm thinking of, like, the La Brea tar pits that, like, mammoths got yeah. stuck in. But this is nowhere near there and probably has nothing to do with that. It's just funny because that's the, like, image it invokes on uh-huh. me right now. Is this, like, Gun, which is supposed to be this, like, elephant sized creature and it being like in a swampy, stinky hole. And I'm like, Oh, that makes me think of this, but it probably has nothing to do with that at all. Just a weird brain connection of that. I'm making. <laughs> so this creature, when he found it was kind of depressing for Jacob because it was not the like kind of lofty pursuit that he had wanted it to be. It had sounded like this really cool, supernatural, fantastic creature that he was like, of course, this is a thing I would want to hunt that I would want to find and look at and put on my wall. Turns
0: out it's just gross.
1: Yeah, he, it was like, this is a sluggish, slow-moving, harmless plant eater that was like too stupid and slow to even be worth pursuing.
0: Wouldn't be sporting to kill it.
1: It wouldn't be sporting to kill it. So he decided that he was going to take it alive and he wanted to show it to people, quote, as proof of his prowess, which I think is really kind of an interesting turn because he's a guy who likes to live alone and just go on the hunt for things. And a lot of these prize items, he's not selling them. He didn't sell the Great Fang Death's pelt. He kept it as a blanket. And the loop eclair, he just kept its skin and, like, hung it on the wall of his own cabin for decoration. But suddenly we see this, like, turn in the story where he suddenly is like, oh, I found this thing. And how can I prove to people that I found this really cool thing? I don't want to kill it. And it's too huge to, like, kill and move. And it's also really hard to move. So... Jacob went to a group of eerie Indians that lived in the area. And the story says that in a mixture of German and English sprinkled with a few French and Indian words, he told them what he wanted, which I'm like trying to imagine like these people just being like,
2: what is this dude? Is
1: he broken? Like... (laughs) What in the world? Not focusing
0: on like one language at a time, just being like, maybe I'll just throw it all at him and see what sticks.
1: Yeah. Be like, here are some words. I think they form information. And it's like, they don't, sir. And the quote in the story is, gesturing and waving his arms, he commanded them to do his bidding. And again, I want to point out, like, I don't like that language there, that commanding them to do his bidding. Super gross, but very reflective of the way that white people at the time viewed native peoples they were like oh obviously you can work for me and do my thing and I can get you to do like what I want so apparently the leader of this group was like this is a sacred fool seized by holy madness (laughs) his powers are great his anger terrifying we must humor him and do what he says I'm like oh I don't like this (laughs) point of the story but yeah it's fine we'll get back to talking about that later so the native people who were like oh we've never seen a gorma gun before how did you find it obviously because you are a far superior (laughs) hunter than any of us ever were
0: gross so i like to think that they were like being just like kind of like you know patronizing like oh my gosh this guy's crazy let's just go along with what he says and hopefully he'll just leave us alone (laughs) I mean,
1: that's a great way to, like, rewrite this story because it's like, it's like, I'm just imagining, like, the white people that are sitting around telling the stories. And they're like, obviously, in our story, these Native people would be, like, so impressed by him. And it's like, why? yeah (laughs) But again, that's my, like, 2020 brain looking at them being like, "Mm, that doesn't make sense. But to them telling the story, they're like, of course, of course the like Native American people of this continent who have lived here for thousands and thousands of years longer than us and have created vast civilizations on this continent are impressed by us. (laughs) It's like, I'm sure that that didn't make sense to people. So anyway, and again, in the story, like they prostrated themselves before the one who had found (laughs) the Gormagunt. And I'm like, Gross. So 12 uh, 12 horses were harnessed to the Gormagunt and, like, pulled on it. And it says, like, at first it was unwilling to cooperate. But eventually, since it was so docile and tame, it started to slowly move along with them. And so they were able to, like, slowly get to where they were going. So when they got to a town, it says Lancaster. That's the town they're they're stating that it was. When they got there, Jacob swapped the people there for, it says, pelts, uh, mirrors, vermilion paint, and brandy. And he gave all of that to the Erie Nation people who had, like, helped him. And then to the townspeople, he said... Feed this Gormagunt. Feed it water plants and swamp plants and things that grow along swamps and ponds. Give him lots
0: <laughs> of like it. He's like an expert in, and in then, Gormagunt care all of a sudden.
1: He's a regular Newt Scamander. So then it says he just left the Gormagunt standing in the marketplace. And the people who live there were like, I don't know what to do with this. But then two Yankees came and decided to take it and... Like, do a traveling freak show <laughs> with the Gormagant. And it says... It's uh, probably a good,
0: good use of the Gormagant.
1: Yeah, to be like, everybody, come and look at this freakish creature. And so it said that they printed up handbills and passed them around, and it says, and I quote, whereas a surprising monster was caught in the wilds of New France and had with great difficulty been tamed. <laughs> like... Nope. This is to inform the discerning scientific public that it will be exhibited in this town. The monster is of uncommon shape, having three heads, six legs, three fundaments, which is a polite word for butt. (laughs) I actually think it means butthole, which, yes. And then again, the two male members and the three female pudenda. It is of various colors. Very beautiful. (laughs) I don't know about that. It makes the noise like the conjunction of three or four different noises. Nobody knew its name until an old Indian, they said this, not me, said he remembered that when he was a boy, his father told him that it was called a gormagant. And what's interesting is like parts of that are really similar to like what is found in like that newspaper that I was talking about, which makes it almost seem like it's like, wait, was there at some point somebody who had created something like a
0: freakish, freakish like taxidermy monster.
1: Yeah. And then was like, come and look at this freaky thing I put together and I'm going to pretend it's a real animal. Um, and I'm like, is this story like imitating life? or is did a freak shit yeah it's like which came first the yeah so but again the story of it being like oh yeah the name is like an old native american word is like one of those things it seems like it was claimed that to give it like a false history to be like oh yeah if native american people have encountered this thing before then it must be real So after these people kind of got a hold of the Gormagunt and were putting it on display and stuff, and Jacob had kind of gotten the glory, I guess, that he wanted because people knew he was the one that showed up with it and was like, look what I found. He kind of felt a little empty inside. He suddenly realized that like most of the stuff that he had wanted to hunt down and pursue, he had like already gotten. So I guess now he is having an existential crisis.
0: What does my life even mean if I can't hunt these mythical creatures?
1: Yeah, like, who am I? What is left for me to tame? What is left for me to conquer if I've conquered everything else? And so he went in search of the great white heart. Yeah. Winter was already close and so he knew that it was not time for him to start looking for another creature so again he went into his cabin and he spent the whole winter kind of fixating on this thing locked in this cabin which i can totally relate (laughs) i've also been trapped in my house fixating on things But he couldn't Netflix and chill. He couldn't have Grubhub come by with his favorite Thai food or his favorite Mr. G's pizza. No. (laughs) (laughs) So he was just kind of like muttering a whole lot of stuff in German to himself, Um, which I'm not going to try to repeat because it's just going to make me sound like I hate German people. Um, But it was just like, Like, the heart will be mine, mine, mine. I looked up some of this earlier. Oh, one thing that I thought was funny was I looked up one of the things that he said because it was mostly in German. And then he said, Blitz und Donner, which I was like, Donner and Blitzen? (laughs) Um, But Blitz und Donner means Lightning and thunder. Ah. German. So it was like this expression at the end where he's like, lightning and thunder. I want to, like, get out there and find this thing. I want those big antlers on my wall. I have to have it, this great white heart. Please, God, let me get him. Please let nobody else get to him before me. I want this so bad. So he's just fixating on this and pacing and freaking out and drinking
2: this <laughs> alcohol,
1: which I'm sure was helping. <laughs> <laughs> so when spring came, he was super eager to go and he could only fixate on this. Like one thing first, he knew that before he started this long trek, he needed to get all of these provisions for his journey because he didn't know how long he would be out there. So he brought all the furs that he had to town and it says he brought all of his furs to town. And I don't know if that includes the like freaky deaky ones, uh, you know, like the great fanged death yeah. and the loop eclair that he had. Um, but maybe because he was like, no, I need like as much supplies because this is going to be a long trip. And while he was in town trading these things so he could get all the supplies that he need, a preacher came upon him and was like, how are you doing, Jacob? I haven't seen you in so long because you're a crazy person who lives in the woods. (laughs) He didn't say all that, but he was like, like, hello, Jacob. And like, what's going on? Like, what are you after now? And Jacob was like, I'm going after the great white heart, that white deer in the woods with the great antlers i have to have it and so the preacher heard him like say all this and he was like jacob no this is a fixation of yours that is sinful pride you're after it just like for pride and hubris and you shouldn't go because the white heart is for no man god does not mean you to have it It is sure death to chase after him, which I was like, this is kind of like random coming from this like preacher. Yeah. But when I was looking up stuff about the great white heart, it has a long mythological history that even runs into like Christianity and Christian symbolism.
2: Yeah.
1: And so this deer was kind of seen as a symbol of, Like, if you saw this deer in the woods, this, like, white deer, it was a sign that you needed to go on a spiritual Mm. inward journey. And that also it was, like, a symbol for Christ in some mythology and, like, art symbolism and so it was, like, him talking to this, like, preacher about, like, oh, yeah, I'm going after the great white heart. I want to have, like, its antlers mounted. I want to, like, prove my manly strength over this, like, animal. But the animal's, like, a symbol for God. Yeah. So it's, like, oh, here lies the problem is that yeah. this man is trying to outdo God, basically, by, yeah. like, hunting this, like, creature down. Um, And so it does make sense that the preacher would be like, no, that's not for you. And the hunter was like, I must have this even at the cost of my life, which I'm like,
2: foreshadowing.
1: (laughs) So it said this time he traveled where no white men had been before. (laughs) (laughs) Which is important because plenty of native people had traversed that area for thousands of
2: years.
1: (laughs) So anytime he encountered any of the native peoples that lived out in this area, he would try to inquire with sign language and his vast array of wild (laughs) language skills. (laughs) He would ask, like, where's the white heart? Have you seen this giant deer? Who's seen him? and it says that no one ever answered him because like to speak of the white heart was very bad and bad luck and that they like wouldn't give up this like spiritual like animal. Uh-huh. So while he was hunting, he happened upon what they called a half-breed voyager. <laughs> <laughs> which i'm like that's a pretty vulgar term for yeah. it this guy was half this guy was half french half native i wouldn't call somebody of mixed race a half breed yes. but here we are yeah so he said in french which i know enough french to be able to read it and it, it, just kidding i can use google translate Mr. Masson, my French teacher, was like, did she learn something? Like, no. (laughs) I know as few words as you remember me learning, Monsieur Masson. But it's, where is the great white heart? Basically what he was asking. (laughs) Où est-le grand surf blanc? So the guy answered and he was like, do not speak of him. It is death. C'est les It is death. Thank you, Mr. Masson, for six years of French. Just kidding. Mr. <laughs> I didn't have Mr. Monsieur, Monsieur Masson for six years. Just three years. I took six years of French in school and got to level two. <laughs> level dos. That's a joke.
2: Because it's because not French. It's,
1: that's not French, yeah. <laughs> Thank you for getting it and also not laughing. You're like, yeah, I got it. Wasn't funny. <laughs> Oh, man, I feel so bad for Mr. Messel that he had to have me as like a hopeless student. So it's like, sorry, buddy. This is uh, an apology podcast <laughs> <laughs> for all the teachers that I had. I'm just going to like slowly go through them being like, oh, sorry about that. So this guy was basically like, no, no. <laughs> but Jacob decided that he wasn't going to give up no matter what warnings anybody gave him, because I guess he doesn't like to learn. So after months of wandering, he, he, his horse and his dog all were reduced to just skin and bone, completely worn out from the exertion of the trip that they were on. So I guess even though he had got lots of supplies at the beginning, It wasn't enough. He was like running out. Yep. So he happened upon some French trappers, which I'm like, that's really interesting considering they had made it very clear that he had gone where no white men had ever gone before. So he finds these people and he's like, tell me, where can I find the great white heart? Please help me. And this man was like, I once thought like you. I thought that I could find him. I was young and foolish then, mon ami. It says that. (laughs) It's not my French. (laughs) But he's like, I know better now. No one who searches for the great white heart and finds him ever returns. And so Jacob yells at him, damn frog eater. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. You villain, tell me, tell me. And this, like, French trapper was like, Au bien. That's what it says. <laughs> Au bien. If nothing will persuade you, I will show you the way or the spot where the path begins. So naturally, I'm not going to go any further down the trail with you, but I'll show you where the trail starts. So he took Jacob to this seemingly endless rock ledge And was like, well, trail starts here, buddy boy. And it was a cliff made of black granite, like sharp drop-offs. There wasn't a whole lot of anything besides just like tufts of like moss. But yeah, it was just this like raggedy, nothing there cliff. But our boy Jacob, super strong, was like, that's totally fine with me. I'm a great rider. I can definitely do it. So the ledge was just barely wide enough for a rider and his horse. So they rode on with his dog, Whacker, right with them. And like the Frenchman waved them a goodbye and was like, Good luck. Ride on as your evil genius bids you, which I was like, Okay, wow, dramatic. Settle down. And then he was like, I shall never see you again. Like, so the horse, when it got to kind of the edge, started to like freak out a little. But it says with whip and curses, Jacob forced him (laughs) along. He was like, oh, you horse, I'll beat you into listening to me. (laughs) That'll make you feel better. So he looked over the edge and it was so long and dark to the bottom, he couldn't even see the bottom. Mm. And he was like, well, better start going. So slowly, 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 they start to descend. So he rode down, 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 and it got darker and darker as they went down and like got below the tree line. But the trees were so high up that even when he reached the tree line and started going down, there was still such a long way to go slowly and carefully on the back of his horse. So at eventide, so at dusk, he reaches a clearing at the bottom, and he and his animals lay down to rest. But then, suddenly, Jacob was awakened because the pale moon was shining in the sky, and he started to hear a deep rumbling in the clouds, flashes of lightning lighting up the sky, but there was no rain And Jacob was like, wait, then what is that thundering sound that I hear? And he looks up and he sees ghostly huntsmen galloping in the clouds, chasing after a great white heart, except that the great white heart, it says it's ghostly. So it's like an apparition of the great white heart. And this this group of huntsmen chasing after it, a diabolical crew. And so it's another story that involves the wild hunt because the huntsmen are being led by the devil. (laughs) (laughs) So when Jacob saw this, he was like, Oh no, it's the wild hunt. I'm doomed because seeing the wild hunt is like a total omen of like bad luck and terrible things yeah. to come.
0: It's like, dude, every single race and nationality of people you came across told you that chasing after the white heart was certain death. And now you've seen the wild then, hunt.
1: Yeah. And so in this story, it says anybody but him would have turned around and given up then. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, and maybe that would have been the smart thing to do. But he decided he had already come so far, and he was no quitter. Oh, man, some so.
0: cost fallacy at its finest.
1: <laughs> That's, like, exactly what's happening. He's like, I already made it down here. I might as well keep making this worse. So he's down in this place, but it's a lot more vast down there than he thought it was. And so for weeks he was searching For his prey, for any tracks anywhere, he was just looking, trying to see if he could find tracks or catch a glimpse of this white deer somewhere down there. And he says, I've seen his tracks. I know he must be down here, but he must be watching me. And so he would constantly just be like wandering around. It says like a will of the wisp. The stag seemed to float before him always at some distance. So he kept catching these like little Mm -hmm. glimpses and thinking, oh, maybe if I keep going, if I keep pursuing this, if I keep trying, I'll get there because I keep seeing these hints of it. So this one night, he knew that he was getting closer. And he was digging his heels into Raven's flanks because they were taking off at a gallop, trying to run as fast as the wind so that they could catch up with the great white heart. So as Raven is pursuing, Jacob starts blowing on a horn. It says his horn, but I don't remember him (laughs) having a horn except for his, um, the one that he kept his powder horn but I don't know if that's it, but it says he started to blow on his horn, but no sound was emitting from it. He could see that his dog Whacker, who was running alongside of them, was barking, but he could hear no bark. And he knew that Raven, his horse, was neighing, but it was also soundless. And so he took out his gun as they got closer to the great white heart. It was right in their distance and he knew that he had three silver bullets these bullets that can't miss because they've been blessed by an unholy union <laughs> priest of, and crone <laughs> of priest and crone so he pulls out his gun and he shoots and he sees the flash but he doesn't hear any sound And so he again sharpens the flint. I'm assuming while he's still riding. I don't know. I'm assuming he's a great marksman. I don't know how he's measuring out the powder and ramming down another silver bullet while he's riding, but he's incredible. So, whatever. So, twice more, his last two bullets, he shoots them and they make contact with nothing. And he doesn't hear the sound coming out of them. So, after he fires those two, all of a sudden the stag stops. And turns around and it starts walking towards him. And the story says the great white heart was so beautiful, such a perfect example of the creator's art, the creator being God, of course, that Jacob fell to his knees and burst into tears. So when Jacob finally looked up at The deer, it was more beautiful than he could have ever imagined. Its antlers were mammoths spread out like branches of an oak tree Mm. on the top of his head. Just this like glorious crown. And his body seemed to be covered with fine glistening silk. And his eyes shone like sparkling rubies. And a golden cross... Was embedded in the forehead of the great white heart. And Jacob stared up in awe and wonder and he said, It is true. You were never meant for me. You belong to God. So he got back on his horse and weeks and weeks back until he found the ledge and he started to climb up the ledge. And at this point, I was like, Oh, Obviously, he's fine now. He gave up his pursuit, was like, I'm not going to do it, and was turning around going home. Maybe he's going to be fine. No. He had come too far. (laughs) So, when he got to the ledge, he climbed up on his horse, and they started going up. But it was pitch black night, and a storm overtook them. So... The wind was tugging at his shirt and his hair, and they were slowly, slowly, slowly making progress. And again, moonless night, complete darkness. He couldn't even see his own hand in front of his eye. But suddenly, he started to become aware that there was an evil presence bearing down on him and surrounding him. And the horse started to spook Wacker started to growl and howl and all of a sudden he could hear the dog struggling behind him with something that there was something that was like getting at him so he could hear his dog like wrestling and struggling and screaming and howling and like clutching at the rocks on the edge of this cliff. And then suddenly he heard the dogs howling grow fainter and fainter and fainter as he fell oh, off of the ledge. And Jacob was like, oh my gosh, God have mercy on me. And he started violently to like kick at the horse, trying to get the horse go faster. But then he and the horse were suddenly being clawed at and pulled at his body. The horse's body were being like pulled and dragged on and his horse was screaming in terror. And, Jacob was scared he was going to get bucked off of like this horse. And so he pulled out his long knife and he starts to desperately just slash and slash and slash all around him and at nothing because he didn't know what oh, was man. attacking him. So when they broke free of whatever was like clawing at them. The horse, like, took off just running up this, like, ledge in complete darkness. So I'm like, it's a wonder that that didn't, like, kill them. But pretty soon they were at the top, and he fell off the horse, and the horse fell down, collapsed. So the next day, like, the sun comes up after he'd been laying there like the dead for a couple hours. He woke up, and he looked over, and Raven was back up on his feet just grazing the grass at the top of this cliff. And when he looked at the reins and the saddle of Raven, he could see a skeleton hand with bleached white bones clutching to the reins that he had chopped off of whatever had been pulling and tugging at them in the darkness. So after that, Jacob descended into madness (laughs) and he it said he had left on his hunt a strong man in his 40s and he came back a babbling dotard. So his hair was long and his beard had turned snow white and his eyes were glazed over And his limbs were always shaking and he couldn't care for himself anymore. And then suddenly some relatives popped up to take care (laughs) of him at the end of the story. I guess. So he only lived for a couple more years, always sitting in a chair, muttering crazy things to himself and falling asleep on the floor in front of the fire. And he lived like that for a few years until one evening as his family was going around lighting some candles Jacob cried out, the stag is calling me, and fell down dead.
0: Oh, The
1: end.
0: Dang. <laughs> that is an intense, epic tale.
1: What's funny to me is, like, the first, like, three things that he's, like, going and hunting, he seems to find them without, like, many problems. Yeah. And so the story is kind of like, okay, he's a hero and he like he gets his thing. He gets his thing. He gets his thing. What else you got? And then the last thing is like, but his pride overtook him. It became too much.
0: Yeah. (laughs) It's crazy because that's not the ending that I would have imagined, especially being like a tall tale kind of a story. You'd expect it to be. I mean, it was epic, but the fact that he dies in the end. and, and like, fails. Like, I thought he would be, you know, oh, he would see the the heart and then he would have a change of heart and realize that he wasn't going to get it and he would, like, just change his ways and live peacefully evermore, like, not hunting or whatever. But it takes a very, very dark turn.
1: So what's interesting to me about, kind of, like, the beginning of the story and how it sets him up as this, kind of, like, idealized American man of, like, oh, yeah, if you're going to do great things like in this country as like a settler um then you have to you know be willing to go it alone and you have to be like willing to like be a fierce hunter and have all these like amazing abilities but then the end of the story kind of seems to have this like different like aspect of hey but also what you need to do is like be smart about not going it alone, not being um, like prideful, focused on yourself, but maybe being more community minded. Yeah. And worrying less about your pride and you as an individual and focus more on like community building.
0: Yeah. The thing that I love about this story is how this is going to sound interesting and maybe it's not the right way to phrase it, but like how uniquely American it is in the way that it combines all these different elements. Like you've got stuff like the great hunt from like back in European folklore, but then you're talking about these animals that exist here in the new world. And then also obviously the interactions with the native Americans that live here and how religion gets added into it combined with like the pagan, you know, rituals and beliefs of like of other people it's just like it's just really cool and interesting to see all these different elements coming together to tell a story that is very american
1: yes it is like this story is very very like american like european settlers colonizers like yeah story because it does like it takes all of these these things from like the old country, like where people came from, it has all of these like European elements, even combining different European elements. Because yeah, this is like, like a German guy who has parents who are like this like specifically German Protestant religion, pagan stuff, but then also the Lupiclair, yeah, French. French, these like French trappers, Gourmagant, which is supposed to be kind of like a fake native american cryptid that yeah. they invented and like <laughs> said Shoved was part of it which yeah. also again very american settler yeah <laughs> to be like oh and we'll shove this like in here but then that that imagery of like the great white deer which is this like really old mythological creature that carries a lot of like spiritual significance yeah Because it is, I think of that kind of like that the old country European way of viewing that is like, if you see a white deer, which it's technically, it's cool because it's not an albino deer. It is a deer that has, it's a different kind of like a genetic mutation. Yeah. And it's not albino it because it doesn't have like red eyes and this deer like when people would see it because they would see it no it was it was a call to them to go on a spiritual quest a spiritual hunt that if they were like you know focusing on like oh going out hunting and they see this thing it's like oh you need to turn to a life of like spiritual hunting yeah And so I think, like, in this story, it's interesting because he is not pursuing it in that way. He's pursuing it in this very settler, hunter mindset of, like, oh, I'm going to catch this thing for its glory. I'm going to catch this thing
0: for like, the sake of dominating and, like, taming the West. Like, taming and conquering all the creatures that the New World has to offer.
1: Yes. And that's another thing that this story is very much about is taming the west making the west inhabitable for american settlers the european settlers and like colonizers it's about like dominating and conquering which some people have compared this story to or they've said that this story is about like conquering the native peoples of this country yeah which I'm like, eh, I can see. There's an
0: element of that for There's sure. There's an element
1: of that. I don't think that the people who are like coming up with the story, because again, like this story isn't something that was written by like Washington Irving with
2: yeah.
1: where it was like purposefully planted these like, like, oh, and this is a metaphor for like, no, this is like a tall tale that people like were telling and coming up with. Yeah, And so it is very much about, conquering the land but i think that the the way that the end it kind of seems to say like don't conquer it too
0: hard (laughs) (laughs) yeah that was really surprising to me
1: and it's funny because the name of the story is the skeleton hand
0: yeah and it's like the skeleton hand is just like such a non part of the story it's like oh there were skeleton hands on the reins that were these the kind of creature that was like trying to take him down at the end. It was like, Oh
1: yeah. Yeah. And it's like the end. Yeah, (laughs) It's like, wait, you just threw in the skeleton and for no reason. Yeah. But yeah, it, it does not end the way that you think from at the start. Cause like the way that it kind of starts almost is like this, like Hercules story, this like hero. That's like, he is like unimaginably like, manly in every way of like he's rough and tough and that's the only way you can like tame the wilderness of this continent but then he you know gets through those like three tasks those three herculean tasks yeah but then that fourth one it's a doozy yeah and i also think that it's interesting that he comes to that spiritual revelation like when he sees the great white Heart. But then that's not enough to save him. Yeah, he
0: doesn't have a chance to actually, like, go on that spiritual quest, except for maybe, like, metaphorically by being, like, encased in that darkness and attacked on all sides and then drives him to madness. Yeah. Which is like, what does that mean? You know, is it like, again, like, his pride was his ultimate downfall still, even though he kind of, like, I don't know, like, he didn't kill, he didn't, I guess he did try. He shot it three times and was unable to kill it, and he would never have been able to kill it.
1: Yeah, because his, like, even the supernatural bullets that he had that, like, never missed their yeah. mark, they didn't work on the loop guru because it was being, like, protected by God? Yeah. So I want to look at that Christianity element like in the story how even from like the very beginning of the story after they go through this like length to tell you about like what a wilderness like wild hermit he is yeah they want to still point out that he is christian yeah that he is like a god-fearing person so why that's so important in the story is because while he is out there in like the wild Away from what people would think of as like civilized society. He's out there with wild animals and native people, which white settlers also thought of as he's heathens and not quite human. Yeah. And so they thought of native people as others, and being Christian and God fearing in this story was a way to say that while Jacob was separating himself from society, he hadn't separated himself from what made him human. Which was Christianity,
2: right?
1: Which obviously problem, yeah. <laughs> but again, this is reflective of the people's mindset that were like telling this story because they thought this kind of basically about anybody who was not christian because they thought this about people who lived in all of the places that Europe was colonizing they thought everybody that they came to were almost less than human because they weren't christian yet and were trying to like put that christianity on on into those cultures and like force them and so it's really interesting to me and really telling that they took this character that they wanted to make into this like wild outdoorsman, but they wanted to make it clear to the audience of the people they were telling, but he's still Christian. So it's okay. Yeah. (laughs) And so one thing that's like interesting to me, even looking at kind of like cultures that I see now is that we sometimes use Christianity as like a shorthand to explain that like, Oh, this person is a good person And it's funny because, like, the farther I'm removed from thinking that, the more funny I think it is when people will, like, say comments like that to me as if they're like, oh, this should mean something. And I hear this when I'm watching, um, like, crime documentaries where somebody will use their, like, church as shorthand. So they'll say things like they're an active churchgoer. They volunteer in their church community. And that's supposed to be shorthand. That's supposed to, like, immediately communicate to you, like, oh, this person was a good person. Yeah. Even though we all, if we think about it, know that just because you go to church (laughs) doesn't automatically mean that, like, you're a good person. And we're actually going to be looking at that when we're talking about the thousand and one nights, because they kind of do, they do the same thing where they'll point out like, Oh, this character always said his prayers. And that's supposed to be shorthand for.
2: So he's a good person.
1: And so it's not just like Christianity that does that. We have like communities have specific like traits that they will use To communicate that, like, quickly.
0: Yeah, that is really interesting.
1: What's interesting to me about him living by himself in this story is that a lot of people who were coming to the Americas, they were separating themselves from generations of their family. So even though most of the people who were, like, the settlers who were building, like, communities and and trying to, like, make that new life for themselves... Mm in the like on the American continent, even though they weren't by themselves, like totally like Jacob was, they still felt that way because they had grown up in their homes in Europe. They had grown up with like generations of family members, always around them. Like communities would live in one city generation and generation and generation. Yeah. And so when people decided to move to the United States, it wasn't, It wasn't like grandma and grandpa, all the aunts and uncles, all the cousins, all the siblings getting on the boats all together and like going. It was like usually individual family units, sometimes siblings and their spouses and kids like would go, but it was normally way more spread out than they were used to. And so it felt like to them, like a man would typically have his wife and whatever kids they had to help. And that was it. Mm -hmm. They had to like make it. And so to them, like communities were what became that like family unit. And so in the story, you have this guy who is so focused on like being alone, being on his own, having that be his like big thing, like about him that he ends up like, shunning wisdom from all of these people who could have helped him yeah, and deciding, no, it's more important for me to go it alone. Yeah. And then that's kind of what ends up like killing him is him deciding that like he can do everything by himself and he doesn't need a community. And it was very important for those people to know that even though they were striking out on their own, they weren't alone alone and they needed to rely on their town and their communities.
0: Yeah, because ironically, too, at the end of the story, he is so weakened by this selfish adventure that he'd been on that he has to be taken care of by the family that he has until he passes away.
1: Yeah. So let it be a lesson to all of us. So I love that this story, like when I first read it, I was like, you know, this is an American tall tale. It's got a lot of that, like, American, like, uh settler mindset, like, all in there. But, like, the animals kind of, like, threw me for a loop. I didn't, like, because I was like, I'm obviously missing something. I'm not understanding, like, these, like, creatures. And so it was so interesting to me to find That, like, Thomas Jefferson and probably a lot of other, like, Americans, you know, there's that anxiety and wonder about, like, what creatures are out there, a little bit of terror of what creatures are out there, and that, like, Thomas Jefferson believed that there is this, like, these massive cats that were out there waiting to strike because he had found, like, a fossil of a ground sloth. And I thought that's so cool to get into that mindset of the people who are telling these stories and remembering that like, oh, yeah, it wasn't that long ago when people didn't know some of like the science that we have today, some of the animal knowledge that we have, and that they were using these fossils and these mysteries as jumping off points for their storytelling. Thank you for listening to The Fairy Tellers. If you are enjoying what we're doing, please support us by leaving us a review or share us with your friends. Special thanks to Andrew Forey for our music and Clarice Inch for our artwork. If you are a dreamer, come in. If you are a dreamer, a wisher, a liar, a hoper, a prayer, a magic bean buyer, if you're a pretender, come sit by my fire, for we have some flax golden tails to spin. Come in, come in. Invitation by Shell Silverstein. Um, oh, I wanted to use the word trace fossils at some point in a sentence, Jeff, because I just learned about it on the magic school bus, <laughs> which I'm also going to say for the podcast.